I think us, especially as men, we are overly encouraged by seeing success and we're overly discouraged by failure. When you see Gary Vee go out and say, you gotta work a million hours, you're gonna get there. That's very inspiring. But for a lot of people, there are those exact fears that you have, man. Yep. Like, am I good enough? What are my friends gonna think? We're all human beings, man. Emotions operate the same way. I think that's what separates those people that achieve a certain level of success versus those that don't. Are you willing to even try? All right, my next guest is a very good friend of mine. Super excited to have him on. He's got a really unique perspective. He's been a grinder, he's been in startups, he's been in sports, he's a fun dude. He's got a lot of interesting things to say. Alejandro Villa, everybody. See, I liked how you pronounced that, man. That was solid. Hey, I would. Hey, how'd I do? How'd I, do? I don't even. I don't even pronounce it like that. I'll typically just be like Alejandro, and then every time I meet somebody, like they will put the emphasis on like the accent, right? Like Alejandro. Yeah. Okay, solid. <laughs> solid. It's a, it's a self-cultural respect, you know. Well, I appreciate you having me on, man. Cheers, cheers. Let's have a fun conversation. Now let's do it. You know, it's really interesting. I want to start off with this, man. I was driving to Shake Shack earlier, right? Okay. Chilling, not really worrying. Um, but it's LA, right? The way you drive here, you have to kind of drive aggressive <laughs> or you're going to miss literally everything. Nah, so yeah. there's a yellow, which, you know, in LA means just keep going. Don't even worry about it. And I'm going through the yellow guy on the other side of the street coming down Santa Monica. He's taking a left. Okay. And you know how taking a left is in LA. Mm. The red is just the, the go, right? Mm. That's how you start taking the left. I'm late on the yellow. I'll admit like. You know, there's like a little late on the yellow. I was really late. It was mainly the red. So he's mad because he knows he's trying to go on the red because it's not a guaranteed left or anything. So I go past him. This dude gets so fucking mad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he, he honks at me. I honk back just out of respect. You know, yeah. it's like yeah, yeah. I was in the wrong. I'll admit it. Hold on, did you just say you honked back out of respect? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like you can't just honk at me and I'm not going to okay. honk back. Like, yeah. okay. I don't. Yes, I was in the wrong. I'll be the first to admit it. So but he wasn't going for it. It wasn't just the normal honk, honk. This man turned his left into a U-turn, followed me up three blocks just to flick me off. And normally I'd be mad, but I was like, I respect it, bro. <laughs> hey, man, at times, though, it's like road rage is real. It is. You know? So you got to be careful with, you know, what you what you be doing on the streets because um, you don't know what some people are capable of. And, you know, you, I don't know. No, no. You know, what, you know what's funny? Uh, I'll never forget. Back in Conyers, Georgia, where I'm from, small little town in Georgia, I will never, I've never seen crazier road rage. There's this one bridge. It goes over <laughs> I-20, <laughs> which is crazy. You take I-20 from LA all the way there. Yeah. Fun fact. Um, it's a straight, straight shot? Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, technically it intersects through 10 a little, but okay. you don't have to turn. Like Once you're on, you can go all the way to Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> Fun fact. But uh, <laughs> it'll go to take you to Conyers too. And this bridge goes over there. And it's pretty much the only area in Conyers that has traffic okay. because it's a very small town but a lot of people when they're going to Atlanta from the north or going to Athens from the south have to go through this one intersection and I will never forget I was about <clears throat> nine years old Ooh. you know back when I'm in the back seat not looking at anything mm -hmm. we're going over this bridge and I'll never forget it because the traffic got so bad yeah. and I was like why is the traffic so bad we're going straight uh, other people on the other side I don't know what this guy did, but we're dead stop traffic because three spots ahead, 
This guy had pissed off a guy on the other side of the road, by the way. So this guy, y'all were driving this way, and he pissed somebody off that was coming this the, way? Coming the other way. Was I, it a divider? Yes. You, will not, you won't believe that. I don't bro. even know how that's possible. It was, it was a low divider, so we could see him. But it was like, there was a median. Like, there was no way he could intersect. Okay. He pissed this guy off so bad in traffic. This guy coming the adjacent way yeah. stops in his tracks, jumps out of his car, mm. runs the other guy's car. We're in dead stop traffic, so no. he can't leave. This guy's got his wife and kids in the car, snatches the dude out the car, no. and beats his ass. I could, I was like 11. I could not believe it. That's like, insane. That's like some off of GTA, man. No, it was, it was like a world star moment. That's crazy. <laughs> and did he only, break the window or did he have to roll or was the window? Or no, he knocked on it. But basically the guy realized either he was going to break my window, which might splatter glass on me, or I'm just going to have to get out of the car. Mm. And he made the decision to get out of the car. Which was smart because the guy started beating his ass, but he's in dead stop traffic. So other people came out and like stopped mm. it. But man, that really taught me a lesson that day. I was like, wow, people get really mad when they drive cars. Yeah, that's, that's so unfortunate though. Like <laughs> the fact that, oh man, some people take that way too seriously. Like on the road, it's like, y'all gotta chill, calm down. It's, right. you know, we're just, we're all trying to get from point A to point B. Yeah. You know, it's just, I guess. You just, you get stressed out and, you know, emotions ride high. It's like, you got to be somewhere on time. If you're not there on time, like you get, you know, you just get stressed out, man. You, you expect everyone to move out your way. Yeah. You know, so that's not how it works. And it, it, it's really funny because in LA, there's kind of this expectation of like, everybody's always moving. Everybody's go, go, go all the time. So even if you get a little road rage, no one's really stopping their day to really show you something about yeah, it. Yeah. But uh, it was funny because in, in Conyers, man, people got time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, I don't got to be to my, my meeting until 30 more minutes, man. I'm cool wasting another five on you. <laughs> he said, I got you. No, exactly. I hear you. Oh, man. Uh, I want to talk to you specifically about something. Um, so you were in a startup. Mm -hmm. For how long? So I was there for about two years. Two years. Yeah. I think... You're going to have a very fascinating perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I really try to do on this show is on many podcasts are all kind of always all about expertise in a way. Okay. Right? So uh, a lot of people go on Rogan and their goal is to show their expertise on something, whether an actor or a musician or blah, blah, blah. I really like to show the expertise that everyday people have. Yeah. And many people, especially people who watch this, have either thought about or have been interested in some sort of a startup Yeah, culture. absolutely. Right? I'm sure that's kind of half the reason you joined. Yeah. Um, and I have worked at startups, but never like true startups the yeah. way you have. Yeah. So we're going to get into that. But have you seen a show called We Crashed? We, we Crashed? Yeah. I have not. I don't even know what that is. Oh, okay. I just, I, I've only seen one episode, but I know what it's about. I saw the first episode yesterday. It's on Apple TV Plus right now. And it's about a guy named Adam Newman, hmm. who is the founder of WeWork. Okay. And I don't know if you know anything about the WeWork story. But basically, it was one of the biggest failed startups in all time. Mm. It became insanely successful. At one point, it had like a $50 billion valuation. Really? And in three weeks, they went bankrupt. That's so fascinating yeah. because, I mean, you see WeWorks all over the country now. Right. And, and the reason they're still around is because a different company bought them out. Gotcha. Not really the important part. The important part is their CEO <clears throat> is this crazy person. Okay. And it's on, it's a series on Apple TV+. Plus. I'm only seen the first episode. It's all about this guy. Mm. And it is so fascinating how yeah. insane this guy is. I had to look the guy up to see if it was embellished. It's not. 
He's a wild dude. Where'd you like come up? With? Were you just like scrolling through something in a social media website or a social site and you just popped up? Or? Oh, I mean, I like to watch a lot of stuff, okay. but um, I just saw it in a recommendation somewhere. It was like shows you got to check out, check out We Crash. And mm. I was like, okay, try it out. One episode, I'm hooked. By the next time we see each other, I'll have seen all of it, I mm. promise you. But it had me thinking, yeah. knowing we were going to talk, I really want you to talk about what it's like to be in a startup yeah. and not be the actual leader of the startup. Yeah. Because almost always you see the perspective of the people on top, mm -hmm. not the people working. So yeah. kind of take me through your time and what was that like, man? I mean, it was insane. It was insane. Um, like it was an always on mentality, right? So it was like, I didn't know what the off switch was, right? Yeah. So it was my first job out of college. So right. I came on as an intern uh, and then so like a marketing intern I came on as, and then I kind of just, I never really envisioned like where I really wanted to go with that, right? Um, initially I wanted to be an NFL sports agent, right? So I kind of used that, um, after I graduated college, I was like, okay. Um, I was already outside like the season for the sports agency internships, mm -hmm. right? So like you got spring, fall, summer. So it was already past the deadline. So I was like, I can't just not do anything. Um, so then I pursued a marketing internship I landed that gig with that uh, startup with the idea of like, okay, after this three month period, um, I'm going to go back to pursuing the sports agency world. Right. Um, and I fell in love, man. I don't know. Cause for me, it was the reason why I was so cool was because I felt like whatever I was doing, I actually had an impact. My work actually had an impact and I was able to see the results immediately. Right. As opposed to bigger companies or in the corporate world, it's very difficult for you to like to actually have any impact. Right. Mm -hmm. um, because this team was so small, like I was the first person. That, so when I came on board, they didn't have an influencer creator department. Right. And they was kind of like, OK, Alejandro, you do this. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. So I kind of had to just like learn and teach myself everything about influencers and creators um, within that a really short amount of time, right? So like the first three months was super accelerated, right? So with honestly, the first three months felt like I was there for two years. Wow. Like that crazy movement and growth um, with just the way I approached it, the amount of hours I put into it, um, trying to understand the, you know, the field and how everything operates, being close with, you know, the executives on, within the company, within that whole office space and just kind of seeing how they're working and trying to take as much from them as possible and implementing it into my own work ethic and um, just seeing, I mean, my, my approach to it really was like, okay, you know, I'm going to prove myself, right? Um, like I'm motivated um, and I'm really committed to this. And like once I started like really researching, like I fell in love with it. Um, and that's kind of how I, you know, I worked my way up through the company and you know obviously now where we're at now but yeah so i don't know it was you can ask me more questions to yeah. dive in a little bit more details but yeah it was super fascinating man like it was the thing about startups think about it like um like dog years right okay. so like two years at a startup i don't know man it feels like the equivalent of five years somewhere else right yeah. because everything moves so fast right so uh, a short amount of time can be consisted of so much growth that you wouldn't see in the corporate world. And I, I think you touched on something really interesting. Yeah. Um, one thing you touched on was your relationship with the actual higher ups and executives. Mm -hmm. You were, I mean, what what employee number with you? Like seven, eight? I was like, I was probably around like 10 actually. Right. So you're, yeah. you're one of the first 15, 10 employees yeah. in the company, yeah. which is a rare experience. And what that allows you to do is even if you're at the bottom, you're basically also at the top yeah. because it's such a small circle. 
I mean, the company work at we work at now is like a thousand people ish. Yeah, not even. It's yeah. probably less. Not a big company mm-hmm. by you know mega company standards, but. I have no idea who really runs the show. Yeah. After about two levels above us, I couldn't tell you. And I know most people watching this, they have a boss. Maybe they know their boss and their boss's boss. But one thing I find really fascinating is that in startups, yeah. the most bottom level person has the ability to work closely with the people at the top. So so talk about how how it was getting to work hand in hand with the founders and the CEOs like as someone in that level. Yeah, so like there wasn't really a direct report initially, right? I was essentially my own direct report because even the founders, like those guys had their own things to, you know, be focused on. So it was like, okay, you're doing this and we trust you to do this and either you're capable of doing it or you're not, right? So I was like, okay, I'm capable of doing this. Like I'm going to make this happen. Um, So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I put in so much time and effort into it was because I was so excited about what I was doing. I was like, okay, cool. You know, I can do this. Uh, But yeah, so the really interesting thing about that was like there was... Um, there's so many things I, I didn't know about, like how you start a company, right? So it was so interesting, and, and like I learned so much, right? Like um, from funding of a company to how they hire employees to you know how they um, go about their business, how they you know delegate work, uh, how they create departments, you know how they um, you know create leadership within those departments, how they make decisions, where. Um, you know, where does this budget go into, right? So it was like, even as someone who wasn't necessarily like that high up at the time when I started, um, I was able to see all of those things. And I was and I was always absorbing, right? I was like a sponge, man. I was, I was like, okay, I was looking to see what kind of information I can grasp that can help improve what I was doing, but also improve me as a person, right? In regards to not just the department itself, but how I can be, become a better, you know, person in, in the world as far as like me pursuing my career. No, so, definitely. And I think yeah. that's, you really touched on some great points. One thing that I find really fascinating, you touched on funding. What are some of the things you learned about funding? Because one thing I learned when I researched into funding, because I ultimately want to start it's some intense, companies. It's intense, man. It's so intense. It's intense, but it doesn't seem to be based in the way that you would think. I would think for most normal people, you think, well, how does a company get funded? They have a pitch and they have all their numbers <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. How does it work? Talk to me. Man. So I wasn't in the meetings when that stuff was happening, but just being in, in the meeting where the conversation, when they're coming back, like, okay, this was kind of what was going on, right? Um, yeah, man, like, my ear was always on. Of course. Right? So, uh, so like, one of the founders, he'd always, he'd fly out to San Francisco, right? And I'm sure he was pitching for the company. We were, so when I initially came on, we had just brought on the seed stage funding, right? So I think for about a year and a half um, before we raised our Series A, like, it was intense work as far as, you know, the, the founders speaking to, uh, um, you know, all these investors and those conversations, it was almost a daily thing. And for hours, every single day, mm-hmm. it was like, oh my gosh, like, when are we going to receive this funding? And it was like, okay, it looks like you had two, three meetings. Like, okay, is that funding coming? Um, but there's so much that goes into it, right? Like they want to look at the analytics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the progression of the company? Um, like, how do you plan on operating? Like we completely changed our business model uh, because the... I, don't quote me on this, but um, I, I think for the most part, the reason for that was because we weren't getting any investment for you know the, the business model that we had previously had in place. Yeah. So we kind of had to completely shift it, right? Because it wasn't, 
it, like it wasn't ideal for someone to throw a ton of money into the company until they figured, okay, like what's the long term play? Is that sustainable? Can we continue to like? Are we going to receive you know uh, our investment? Is it going to be a positive ROI? We don't want to just throw money because you have a great idea. Can exactly. you show us the numbers? Boom. Right. So at the end of the day, that's what it really comes down to. And but also I think leadership. Right. So it's not just about can you get the job done? Can you manage? A, can you manage a company? Right. If we're giving you 15, 20, 40 million dollars, like, do you know what you're doing with that money? Right. Um, it's not just about intelligence. It's not just about understanding and knowing what you're doing as a CEO. Like, can you do you have the leadership uh, capabilities to perform, to, to hire great talent, to keep that talent and, you know, to scale that company? So and I think that's that's a great point. Yeah. One of the funniest things to me about, like, the current Internet more more tech-based landscape of companies yeah. is the people, I call it the good idea economy. Okay. People will pay for a good idea much more than they'll pay for solid numbers or analytics. Mm -hmm. If you have a leader that people believe in, the, any idea will kind of work. And I think what's really interesting is, like you're talking about, yeah. just because you're the person with the good idea doesn't mean you actually make a very good leader of people. Doesn't mean you make a good person who's no, uh, will understand like, well, what will the engineers do? Yeah. Can we talk to people in a way that's going to make mm -hmm. sense? The job of being a CEO and the person who can think of something that's going to rev revolutionize an industry, they don't really cross over as commonly as you would think. And you have people like, even like an Elon Musk, yeah. who runs four major companies, but he doesn't act like a CEO ever. And he's constantly being like hit up by the SEC because yeah. he's breaking the rules because yeah. He really is fundamentally just a guy with a lot of really good ideas. Yeah. <laughs> See, but the, those are the people that are extremely valuable. Right? Oh, yeah. And that's why you got to hold on to them in some way, shape, or form, even if they're not leading the company, right? But I, I think that's where, like, it becomes very tricky, right? Because if you're someone with a great idea and you're founding this company, chances are you're probably going to want to be the CEO, right? Probably. So if you're not a good leader, like, that hits at if you're a man like i definitely feel like that hits at your pride right it's like okay like this is me this is doing my thing and i'm leading this company and now you have people investors coming on board that are on the board and you know a year into you know the the company's existence like they feel you're not a good fit right so it's like um that that's the tricky part as well so like being able to manage the leadership aspect and I think one thing that's that's massive is being able to, like I said, the leadership aspect, right? So being able yeah. to retain great employees, right? Mm -hmm. um, because that, that's what the company culture is about. If you don't have a good company culture in place, uh, you can have the best idea, recruit great talent. But if you can't sustain that, if they're not happy with what they're doing, if they don't understand like what's going on and you know they feel like there's some kind of transparency, um, they're not going to want to stick around. Right. And in turn, like that's going to affect the, the growth of the company. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's funny you brought that up because in We Crash, it's all about that guy, Adam. He founds the company and he gets kicked out of his own company. And it happens all the time. And I didn't even honestly, I didn't even know. Like initially, like right out of college, because I wasn't really educated on startups and yeah. how companies you know, were created and funding and all that. So, yeah, man. Um, yeah. It's very interesting how that works. So like the. The title of a CEO and a founder, those are two completely different things. And it does not necessarily go hand in hand. Yeah. Like you do see founders become CEO and they're very successful. But there's a lot of failures as well. There's a lot of people who are founders. They try to be CEOs and then they actually like, you know, they, they inhibit the actual growth, right? Like it's, it's not 
um, the trajectory that they you know anticipate because their leadership style is just not there and they don't know how to build the company culture. So I think that that definitely doesn't go hand in hand, but that's why you bring on resources to, to help out with that. And that's one thing that scares me personally, you know, as someone who does want to start, you know, different mm-hmm. companies and organizations. I understand that to get to a certain scale, you got to bring on a board, yeah. right? You got to have shareholders. And at any moment, funding, man, when, yeah, they're not going to come funding. on if, you know, if they're not going to give you money for, you know, 2% of the company. Yeah. They want a seat at the table and they want real influence. And you ever seen Secession? Secession. Secession? No? No. Oh, okay. Another great show. Um, that show is all about a company that like basically the guy, the dad who owns the company, he's okay. like 80. He's about to retire. Gotcha. And he has three kids and they're trying to see who's going to take it over from Oof. him. Very good show. Okay. Um, but what's interesting about it is the idea of the dad is perfectly poised to run the company. Yeah. He is the company. Yeah. He's the founder and he embodies every single thing about it. Yeah. But all of the kids, they just don't quite have it. And I think mm-hmm. what gets lost is a lot of these companies, the founder is the company, right? Mm-hmm. They have that hustle, they have the drive that means so much to them, yeah. but they might not be the best business person. And then you get a situation where they kind of get kicked out and then it's like they lose the vision that the company had as well. That's a great point. Um, the Denver Broncos, I think, are a really good example. Because they're that. getting sold right now. They're getting sold because, so, uh, Pat Ballin, right? Yeah. So he was he was the father. Um, he was the one who, you know, was running the show. And he had children, right? And his idea was, okay, you know, one of my children are going to run the team eventually. But for whatever reason, it just didn't work out, right? Because you also have people within the executive team um, I'm not sure how that exactly works out, but for whatever reason, either they didn't feel like they were adept to take over or, you know, something happened where it was like, okay, you, you're not the person we need in charge, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why they're being sold now, um, which, which is tough, man. But I feel like a lot of businesses are like that, especially with, you know, um, someone who comes in and builds their company from the jump and then they have children and they want to pass that to their children. But, you know, at times, especially if, if it's a massive company, it doesn't necessarily work that way um, because that the children don't have the drive that you had initially when you started. And I, I think that's one of the biggest things as well. Right. It's not just about intelligence. You can be really smart. Um, but if you don't have the drive to take that to the next level, it's like you, you're not invested um, into it the way you know you should be in order to you know, continue that um, success. Yeah, and how could they be, right? Because especially when you see some of these more like rags to riches stories, that person who built that thing up that had the dream, that had the vision, they were the person who was with you, with the 15 people in the little office, grinding every day to build it to what it becomes. Their kids, they grew up rich. They're in the life of luxury. This is all they know. So even if they love it, they don't have that same sense grade, of entitlement, you know, they, yeah, they have yeah. a sense, exactly a sense of entitlement. And I love that you talked about the Broncos because one thing I really want to talk to you about is sports specifically okay. and especially football. Yeah. You know, you've only known me a few months and it's been in the off season. So you don't get to really realize how weirdly obsessed. How big of a fanatic you might be. I am a I mean, we'll weird see. NFL fan. And I think <laughs> there's really nothing quite like it. You play football, right? What position? I did uh, cornerback and running back. 
You played cornerback? How tall are you, bro? 5'10". That's like just tall enough to be a corner. You were in college, though, right? What's that? College or high school? No, high school. High school. 5'10 is plenty for high school. Yeah, yeah. No, I tried to walk on at Oregon, but that didn't work out. Running back, too? No, that would have been cornerback. I also been cornerback? Yeah. I mean, you'd be surprised, though. Like, in in, in college, the cornerbacks aren't as tall as, uh, as you'd expect, but, you know. That's it, they, it varies. Like if you look at the for like if you look at the NFL draft, yeah. right? So I mean, it, it just varies. Like I think definitely height is an advantage for sure. But you, and you would expect a lot more corners to be like six, six one, six two, six three. But you'd be surprised, man, with like the the corners in the league right now. Um, and I think that's that's kind of what's shifting the game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking for taller corners because you've got all these massive wide receivers. And they're matching up with these corners. It's like it doesn't make sense to put a, a smaller guy on. Let's say I don't know I don't know what team, but if a roster is filled with six two, six three, six four wide receivers, right. you know they're all 190, 200, 210, 220. It's very that's a tall task for yeah. a corner that's not that the similar size as them. So um, yeah, the game is adapting for sure, and 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 it's definitely adapting. But to me, it's weird that it's even gone on this long. The Bucks won the Super Bowl not last year, the year before. They had Mike Evans, who's like 6'4". A.B. was their shortest receiver, and he's like Mm. 6'2". They had Godwin, a bunch of guys. Animals. Mm. And all the corners they're facing, the tallest ones are like 6'1". How is this a fair fight? I mean, I just don't understand that we've allowed to have such short defenders in the league. Honestly, I think it becomes so like uh, fluidity, right? So you're turning your hips, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's a bit more difficult for taller corners to do that, that quick movement, that turning of the hips. That's got to be. There's got to be something to do with it. With that, um, has has to be right because there's way too many of them in the league, yeah. and that's that can't be a coincidence. That's, right, that's not a coincidence at all. Try being five ten and being an outside receiver. Yeah, you, no. I mean you'd be in the slot. Yeah, you can be Cole Beasley. You'd be a nice Wes Welker. <laughs> yeah, you can be Wes Welker, but no, you're not. You're not going there on the slot. You're gonna get killed by the corners. So I don't yeah. know why that's a thing. That's something that's very interesting to I me. I mean, athletic ability, man. That's one thing. Uh, if you have it. Don't. I mean, you can't. You can't uh, you can't count out what's in here, man. Yeah. You know, so it's like if somebody has that athletic ability in the heart to to make something happen, like just look at Kyler Murray. You know, interesting. Would you ever think a five ten quarterback, a five ten NFL quarterback? Like, I've got my personal gripes with Kyler Murray because yeah. I think Kyler Murray has everything except this right here. Mm, okay. I think Kyler Murray is a supreme talent. Mm-hmm. There's a reason he was a first round draft. I'll pick. tell you one thing, man. He didn't make it that far and overcome so many obstacles without having that drive. Maybe, maybe, sure. maybe now, like it's a little more apparent that it's not the what, the place that it needs to be. But in order for him to get to that point, you don't get there by mistake. No, 100. percent I don't think he did. I, I think. I guess what I really think is I think he's gotten clouded by the clout. I think very cl- possible. For clearly, sure. he worked hard. Clearly, yeah. he had the drive because he went number. He was a first round pick in baseball and football. That is no accident. Mm-hmm. I won't say that by any means. That's insane. But <laughs> you're the quarterback yeah. of a team that represents an entire state. There's a certain level of humility you have to have, and there's a certain way you do things. You can't be going on Instagram saying mm-hmm. "fuck the team." Yeah. You know, we're gonna do this mm-hmm. like. There's a certain level of couth you have to have to understand that there's a way to do things. Mm-hmm. That's why guys like Joe Burrow get so much respect. Yeah. Because he sits down and he's the pride of Cincinnati. Kyler's like, I'll get traded. I, I agree with that, except the times are changing, right? So it, it's all about are money they? in the NFL now, man. It's all about can I leverage in order to get a good contract, sure. right? So you, you saw Deshaun Watson get a fully guaranteed deal. Oh. After everything that he How do you feel about that? He that? Did, 
hey man, get your money. At the sure. end of the day, like these teams are billionaires, right? Um, but I thought it was really interesting. That just shows you like the amount of, uh, like the NFL really does not care about so much what you do off the field if you can perform on the field. Sure. It's like what what can you get? What what can you do for me, right? Um, outside of that, it's like okay, can you get? Can you throw forty touchdowns and you know? Uh, you know, uh, you know, not throw 15 interceptions. Can you do that? Can you lead us to the playoffs? If so, like, we'll turn our blind eye, and you do whatever you need to do off the field. I, I don't care. We'll, you know, pretend we're not looking. Yeah. I mean, that's – it's sad, it. but, you know, that's that's the star players, man. Like, that's the kind of treatment they're receiving. And I get that for the star players. It's quarterback specifically because they got to be the leaders, right? The outside fans, you and I, the media, all that's one thing. But you got to be able to look these grown men in the eyes and say, we're going to follow me. I'm all the way in. That's why I love Russell Wilson so much. He's the most in all about the team guy there is. Yeah. And if I'm a J.J. Watt and I'm sitting here, I've, you know, I've been in huge playoff games. Yeah. I'm one of the most respected guys in the league. Mm-hmm. I'm not really buying when I see this kid who's not really about the team that that's the guy I'm going to follow. So I give quarterbacks a little higher standard. You want to be OBJ? Get your money. You're I, one hit away from your career. I, I agree with you there, but this isn't high school no more, man. It's not college. Like, it's, it's a business. And like, I, I think the guys understand that, right? So like, I think to a certain point, people overestimate the leadership ability of the quarterback. Really? Right? I believe so. Like, yeah. You're looking at Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, right? Um, you've got guys that are leaders. But then you also have, like, look at this offseason. You've got, I don't know, how many trades of the quarterback position. A lot. Right? So these guys like have to adapt to a new team. It's like they don't know if they're going to be there next season. Right? It's like you do what you got to do on the field. Like, you know, that leadership aspect, can you play? That's all I care about. At the end of the day, if I'm making millions of dollars on that team, like I don't care how you approach it. Like, just play the game. Can you put us in a position to win? Right? Um, I, I really think it's over um, – not overemphasized, but I don't, I don't think it means as much. Uh, than than people like make it out. You to think be. the media makes it? A I think the deal media makes it a lot bigger deal because if you probably talk to players than the Cardinals, it's like no, like you know, if I was in that position, like Kyler, go get your money. I mean, the reason why he's doing that, I, I think it's the pro. His approach is probably not the approach that I would take. Um, but he's a smaller guy. You know, he constantly has to scramble. Yeah. He's putting himself at risk for injury. So he's trying to hold out to get a get a contract before he plays another year and you know, risk himself for injury. And if he, if you get injured, um, there's no guarantee you're going to get a second contract, right? So he's sure. looking out for himself. And I, I think his, his teammates, you know, understand that. It's a business at the end of the day, man. No, I, um, I, I, And I think they're very aware of that, which is why, like, they take that personal aspect out of it. I respect that. And I think that's a good point I hadn't really considered. And this is interesting because I know one of your goals in life is to be a sports agent. Tell me how that kind of came about and yeah. like where you see that going. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was the ninth grade, man. Like ninth oh, grade okay. is when I kind of focus on that. I was like, well, I wanted to be an NFL player, just like any other kid, right? Of course. The moment I realized that wasn't going to happen, I was like, what's the next best thing? Wait, wait, wait. What was the moment? What was the moment you realized eh, maybe I should not be in the NFL? It was just like I think um, it was more so not necessarily a moment. It was just more so like okay, I need to. I need to shift, right? Yeah. I can't just be like, all right. I don't have. You didn't I don't want have to put the prototypical size. Like yeah. I was, I was like, I was a late bloomer. I was like, okay, cool. Um, maybe I should think about other things as well, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I was like, okay, uh, like want, the honesty. Yeah, I wanted to be an agent. Um, I didn't know what kind of agent. The reason why I wanted to be an agent because I thought it sounded cool. Yep. 
that is plain and simple. I thought it sounded cool. So I was like, okay, what's an FBI agent, CIA? Um, oh, you're trying to be any kind of agent. I was, I was so fascinated by like all that gadget stuff and like climbing outside of these windows, like the 007 kind of thing, man. I was like, okay, can I be that in real life? Um, and then I figured out the NFL had an agent. I was like, I don't even know what that is, but I want to be that. <laughs> and then I, want, I was like, okay, cool, NFL agent. So I'm able to experience... You know, um, get all the access, you know, with the players, uh, you know, still make a ton of money, um, have fun, be around the environment. I was like, okay, cool. Where can I go to be an NFL sports agent? Right. So I kind of set my sights on the University of Oregon because yeah. they had the best sports business program in the country. I was like, okay, that's where I need to go. Uh, so, yeah, I graduated high school. I went there and then I graduated college. Um, I had made some connections with uh, sports agents because I had worked for a minor league baseball team mm -hmm. uh, one of the summers that I was out there. And I was able to connect and kind of just pick the brain of some of these agents. And then when I graduated, see, this is the thing about um, kind of my journey is I didn't realize the networking aspect and how important that was mm -hmm. and how soon I needed to find a job while I was still in college. Yeah. Right. Uh, for me, I was like, OK, cool. I'll graduate within two weeks. I'll have something lined up. That's not how the real world works. No. <laughs> right? So coming from my background, I didn't realize that was the case. Yeah. Right. I was like, OK, because I didn't understand it. I didn't have a blueprint to follow. Of course. Right. Um, so that's what made it made it a bit difficult, per se. Right. Because I didn't know what to do. Um, but yeah. So when I graduated, then I was like, OK, I want it. So the reason why I wanted to be that, though, because I'm super passionate about sports, specifically football. Um, and I just love that aspect of it, right? Being around the game. Um, and obviously, like, there's a shit ton of money in sports, right? So I was like, okay, cool. I want to get into that. And then uh, I didn't end up, you know, interning for an agency. I ended up doing the marketing internship and then staying within that tech startup world and dealing with influencers and creators. But now, like, uh, after leaving that job, like, I realized I don't want to work for somebody else, yeah. right? Like... It was so draining because um, I had put so much time and effort into, you know, building this for somebody else. But I wasn't reaping the rewards that I was putting into it. Yeah. Right? I was you like, okay. putting an effort that helps someone else get rich. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm making, I'm working this hard to make you millions. Why can't I work this hard to make myself millions? Of course. Right. So I kind of brought things back to full circle, and I was like, okay, cool. Um, what can I do that you know gives me that sense of joy and passion? Um, that's not necessarily the sports agency world. Because I don't think I'd go back into that because I'd have to start from the very bottom, right? Yeah. Probably have to be an intern again, get paid shit, work mm -hmm. my way up this corporate ladder. I was like, nah, I'm not trying to do that. So for me, like sports marketing and sports uh, management, I think, which is kind of what, you know, something similar to what you were doing as yeah. well. So, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm working on now. Um, you know, hopefully going, going live with that here in the next few weeks. But um, for me, it's just that being in the know, right? So being involved with sports in general, with athletes and just building that relationship. And obviously, like, oh, there's good money into it. But the biggest thing for me is, like, that's what I'm passionate about, right? Yeah. If I can do something that I'm super passionate about and I can wake up every single day and not look at it as a job, like, be super excited about that um, and, you know, make a really good living, like, that's what I want to do. And um, But it, I didn't really press on it until, like, leaving that, you know, that other job, right? Because yeah. I realized, like, man, like this is intense. Like you're doing all this work to make somebody else money. So you want to shift that around. And, you know, why can't you do all this work to make yourself that, that kind of money? And it's possible, man. I think that's what people don't realize is um, it's possible for everyone. 
right? If you put in the work, if you have a mindset that, you know, you're like, you have a drive, um, yeah, it's going to be difficult. You're going to, you know, there's adversity that's going to head your way. But if you stay consistent with it, man, it's just one foot in front of the other. I think you can definitely attest to this, right? Oh, yeah. One foot in front of the other. Eventually, you will get there. Um, but I think it's, it's possible for everybody. It's just how bad do you want it. Um, but yeah. And, and I think what's really interesting is when you're starting your own thing, there's a level of commitment that is very hard for people who have not been around it or done it themselves to understand. Mm -hmm. When I started my management company and when I made the decision to quit my job when I was working at UTA, which is a great job at a phenomenal talent agency that I will only speak highly of, uh, <laughs> I really quickly thought, well, I was working really hard at UTA. Okay. And I was like, I'm working hard. If I'm giving this much effort for someone else, if I put this much effort into myself, I'm gonna be really successful. So similar mindset. Right, but what I really realized is I was putting in this much effort for someone else, I gotta put in this much effort for myself. Yeah. And man, a little bit of my life at the time, uh, I was still dating Aaron, but we were long distance okay. at the time, which is honestly one of the greatest blessings of my life because I was fucking grinding. Yeah. I worked when I woke up, I worked when I went to bed, I was asleep dreaming about work. Mm -hmm. and. You don't really, you're not truly capable of understanding just how encompassing running a business from scratch is until you do it, or at least until you're adjacent from it. And it, it was really concerning, and it's kind of shifted my whole mindset now. And now, when I think about running the next opportunity that I want to do in a little bit, I know I've got to be at a certain point in life. Right now, I'm engaged. Um, you know, we just moved here. There's simply too many distractions. And what I've understood is you cannot have distractions. You must have a linear focus. Your friends, your girlfriend, whoever has to understand that until this thing gets off the ground, everything's number two. Yeah. Sorry, girl, you're number two. Sorry, friends, you're number three. Like, and I think that really affects people in a negative way. I think that's why a lot of these like billionaire CEOs are weird people. Like they can't yeah. talk to normal humans because yeah, all they think about is their job. And, and I just want people to understand that like, it's not all it's cracked up to be. You got to have a passion for it that usurps other things. This flashy billionaire lifestyle is so fake. Yeah. You know, the idea that people are running their own company and they're spending their, all their time, you know, on music video sets and driving cool cars. <laughs> There's no time for any of that. It is meetings and planning and you know finance and whatever you have to do to get that next step and yeah. to grow and and it's a commitment man so i just want you know i just want to let you know that like i know you're going to go for it and yeah. i know you're going to be successful but i just want to make sure that you're at the point in life when you go for it that you can say like hey i'm putting everything on hold yeah. to do this you know yeah. what i'm saying no i definitely understand that man i mean just being around it like seeing how much time was spent on it right from yeah. the founders i'm like holy cow this is intense um but if you love that man like if you love what you're doing at the end of the day like i think i'd much rather exert myself towards something i'm super passionate about and really want to build and i think that like there's a chance for it to succeed and there's probably an even bigger chance for it to, to fail right <laughs> so as long as you're understanding of that um then why, why not go for it right yeah. um i think the biggest thing for myself is i don't want to have any regrets Right. Mm. At the end of my life. Right? So true. Exactly. Right. I think that's why, like, I came back to this mentality and perspective, like, OK, I, I need to do this and I need to do this now. 
right? Because um, the older I get, like, I understand, like, Gary Vee, like, all that stuff. Like, oh, you're never too old, right? You're 35. Oh, you're young, man. You're 25% of your life. Nah, I call it bullshit on that, man. Like, I want to live my life, like, at the peak when I'm as young as possible, right? And it is possible, right? So, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely understand uh, the grind for sure. Maybe not as, as much as you do, you know, from, from your own experience because you were already in that and out of it. But yeah, uh, small baby steps hurts, man. No, baby steps, but yeah, no, I, I know it comes with its own territory and uh, so much dedication and sacrifice. But you know, yeah. you're a sports guy. You know Skip Bayless, right? Yeah, for sure. You know Skip Bayless <laughs> yeah, gets yeah. a, a very man, a sure. very bad rep, but I think there's one thing that Skip Bayless has very right in life. Um, on his podcast, the Skip Bayless podcast, yeah. he had this one legendary clip where he talks about his wife, Ernestine, mm. and how he met her. Oh, yeah. I, I have seen that one. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's a legendary clip, and I'll tell you, um, I'll tell, I guess, the audience about it. It's, he talks about when he met his wife, Ernestine. They've been together like 40 years. And he's an old dude. He's like 70. Yeah. Yeah. He said on their first date, which I cannot imagine, this is in like 1980. Yeah. They go on a date. The date goes great. At the end of the date, <laughs> he tells her, Ernestine, I really like you, yeah. but I need you to know. If we get married, you will always be second yeah. in my life to my job. I thought that was crazy <laughs> when you said that. But I was like, man, like this guy's he knows what he wants. He's right. super passionate about it. And he's very transparent about it. Yeah. And I, I think that's what made her respect him even more. Yeah. Right? So I like, and okay. I think that's why they're still together yeah. to this day. Yeah. But he's loony. He said, not only will you always be second, I can't have kids because I can't let anything throw me off my game. Yeah. That's a level of commitment I could never be at, but I think we underestimate how many guys are like that and how many people just think success is all that matters to me. Yeah. And I and honestly like in a non, you know, honestly in a sexist way, I think that's why 10 10 men tend to be more <clears throat> successful in business than women. Yeah. Cuz I think men are crazier. Mm. I think men have that drive to succeed that's so strong that they're willing to give up way more things in life that's all that really matters to them in a different way you know? yeah yeah i i agree to a certain extent i also <laughs> feel like you can still build something really successful um i mean obviously it depends like how successful you want it to be and still enjoy life of course right? you don't need to mentally train yourself um in order to achieve something yeah and i i, I definitely want people to understand that as well right because there's like yeah i mean we're talking if we're talking billionaires and like multi yeah. multi-millionaires like there's a level of sacrifice that goes into that but you can live a very comfortable life and still have a work-life balance per se right yeah. um that doesn't require maybe as much dedication right um, but yeah if you want to be the absolute best and you want to achieve greatness in whatever field that you're pursuing in order for you to achieve that and surpass those that are on the same trajectory or path as you like you have to like what can i do better right um, more time goes into it more sacrifices more you know dedication to your craft right so which some people aren't willing to to give up and if you're willing to give that up chances are you're gonna you know your chance of succeeding in uh taking it to a much higher level or much greater right um, yeah but yeah i don't necessarily think you need to give all that up in order to achieve a certain level of success um but if you want to be the absolute best and get to that level then absolutely. No, I, I agree. And I want, I want to clarify a little. I think to be a real professional, yeah. you're probably a top 1% in the world at something. Yeah. Even if you're a pro bowler, yeah. you're an incredibly good bowler. Mm -hmm. I think you can get to the top 1% of pretty much anything and still have some semblance of a work-life balance. Yeah. Now, the balance might be, 
I spent three years all in and then I chilled. Yeah. Like for me, right, I'm taking a year to really focus on getting married, building yeah. my home, build my foundation. Yeah. But I think, like you said, if you want to be the 1% of the 1%, those people are not normal humans. Take Tom Brady, for example. They're not. How many, there are only three guys other than Tom Brady who have ever won more than two Super Bowls. Tom Brady has won seven Super Bowls. 99% of guys after number five. Number five was the moment that I knew he was not a normal human. I watched him win Super Bowl number five. He beat Montana. He was the undisputed GOAT. And he was celebrated for one day and he went right back to grinding because yeah. I got to get six. Mm -hmm. And then when the Patriots fell off, he said, nope, I'm out of here. I got to get seven. Then he retires this offseason for three weeks in a sham retirement so he can better his chance at winning. I think that was a, I think that was a media ploy. You, you think it was a media ploy? Oh, for yeah. Sure, for sure. Oh, I agree. He, this guy knew he wasn't going to retire. He can't. He's going to retire when Aaron Donald sacks him, he tears an ACL, and he knows it's over. That guy will play at least 55 if he can because he's crazy. <laughs> That's but how they operate. You know what's funny is I don't see it like that. I don't see that they're crazy. I think it's just... Just because 99% of the population isn't that way doesn't mean that they're not normal, you know? I guess that's how I define crazy. crazy. I don't think crazy is always bad. I think most of, you'll, you'll see out of my living room, yeah. uh, I got the Kanye quote, yeah. name one genius that ain't crazy. Yeah. I think you have to be crazy to succeed at such a mm -hmm. high level. So the word crazy to the normal person, I guess, is, is a negative connotation. Yeah. Right? It takes on a negative connotation. Um, but yeah, so for me, I just... To the, yeah, to attain a certain level of greatness, like you have to be different. Yeah, right. Different. I think that's the word I, I like to use. I like different. that. Um, so, are you different? Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you're different and you're willing to be different for a good portion of your life, and give up so much and sacrifice so much, I mean, I, I honestly feel like anyone willing to do that outside of the athletic world, where you need to have certain genetics and there's a time frame where you need to make that happen. Like in the business world, like you might try something five times, get knocked down four, but if you keep getting up, eventually you're going to succeed. No, 100%. I think uh, Mark Cuban has a great quote that I love. Um, and not only is he a big business guy, but he owns the Dallas Mavericks. And he always compares sports to business. And he says business is the ultimate sport. Yeah. And his uh, argument is you're always training for sports, right? But when the game clock goes on, it starts, and when the game clock goes off, it's over. Yeah. He says business is the ultimate sport because the clock never stops. Yeah. Every single moment you're sleeping, your competitor is working to kick your ass. Yeah. That's his exact quote. And I think it is so interesting that certain guys are just kind of wired differently to where they're not, they can make a billion dollars, that's just the tip of the iceberg. They want that success. They want to be number one. And I just think... That's kind of a beautiful mentality to have because that can only come from passion. No amount of greed, no amount of like yeah. lust, desire. That might get you to the 1%, but that's not taking you to the very top. You got to love what you're doing yeah. to keep you going every single day. But I also think it's important that um, once you attain a certain level of success, success, like that can be very addicting. Oh, yeah. Right? And like, so Mark Cuban per se. Sure. Let's say if he didn't sell whatever he was selling when he was young, like that's kind of what that created a snowball effect, right? Now he has all this money. You can invest it into certain things or he can try other things out. Like 
a lot of people don't have that luxury, right? So it's like sometimes it takes a little bit of luck in order for you to continue to be passionate about something for an extended period of time, right? That's a great um, point. So, yeah, man, th- t- take the, the everyday Joe, right? Mm-hmm. You've got, I don't know, you're trying to start a company. You start maybe 10 and you don't end up selling it or there's no like actual net profit out of that. You're not seeing, you know, a positive return on your investment. Eventually, you're going to give up, right? Um, unless you start saying something positive out of it. But at the same time, maybe it's like, oh, well, this person isn't cut out for it. Maybe <laughs> so, that's, see, that's my argument. I think you're not there because I yeah. think those people who are really built like that, yeah. doesn't matter where they start, they see success in a different way. Yeah. Sure, all those 10 companies, they didn't get sold, they didn't become Fortune 500s, but there's people I've seen where they're like, oh, well, we sold eight products on this one. That means in the next one, we're going to sell 10. Yeah. That means in the next one, we're going to sell 100. Like, no, that's actually a really good point. If you're doing 10 and, and something you're failing, it, chances are you're not learning from your experience, mm-hmm. right? Eventually, if you put in the work and you, I don't know, I, I just feel like there's not necessarily, like there's a structure in place and a system in place where you can learn so much. And if you stick to that, Eventually, you're going to see, you know, you're going to see some traction. You're going to see growth. And if you're not seeing traction, then you're doing something wrong. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the Thomas Edison thing, right? Like the guy tried to make the light bulb like 1,026 yeah. times or something. 1,027 worked. Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, I, I got some more personal questions yeah. for you. Um, so you are a second generation immigrant? Uh, I'm a first gen immigrant. Uh, First gen here, so my parents okay. immigrated to the U.S. Yeah, okay. I never know how to define the generation. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that's I think that's what it is. Yeah, First but you gen, get the point. your parents yeah. immigrated. You were yeah, born yeah, here, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So one thing that I find really interesting, and this is like I just I've never asked you this. I want your general perspective yeah. is what I've seen is from a lot of people, and your parents came from from Mexico, from Mexico, yeah. right? I found all my Mexican friends, like my last uh, ex girlfriend, for example. They tend to have a very different perspective on immigration than you would expect. Mm -hmm. I've found that most Mexican-Americans that I've found who their parents, you know, who were born here, so or their parents went through the actual, like, immigration system, they tend to be very anti-illegal immigration. Mm. And I think from what I've seen, it's because they kind of have a respect for the process and they know how hard it is. Personally, as somebody who's never gone through it, I think I'm a lot more empathetic, right? So just as someone who's kind of seen it in a more one-to-one space like what are your thoughts on that um i think so i'm I'm definitely an empathetic person as well right i i something about me like i don't tend to judge people yeah right and even like um subconsciously like i try to catch that like if it's happening it's like yo like i don't know like everyone's equal kind of thing and um afford everyone an opportunity to be successful uh so in regards to immigration itself i mean it's not like you know, I'm going outside the White House holding a pitchfork for one way or the other. Sure. But for me, it's like, because, you know, I have cousins that, you know, that's in, they're impacted by those kind of rules and regulations. Of course. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. My take on that is if there's there's so much good people that aren't in the United States. So you, the United States is one of, if not the only country that does that. You know, don't quote me on that. I'm sure there, there's probably yeah, others, right? But we've got such a um, an interesting government in place that like it makes it out for us to be, you know, the end all be all of countries. Like, okay, this is the final destination. Like, this is where every like it's the, the top notch people should be. It's right? where you want to come. Exactly, exactly. Um, but there's so much talented people everywhere and anywhere, 
right? Um, so like my parents themselves, like they came here and they worked their tail off. Um, and for me, like my perspective growing up, like I saw that, right? Like there was times where there was barely any food on, like um, money to put food on the table, right? And they were grinding like every single day, right? Like coming home late kind of thing, going out early um, and not coming back until super late. Um, so I think from, from my perspective is like, yeah, I mean, obviously you can put in like government regulations and like, okay, but we're looking at this, we're looking at that and, you know, making sure criminals don't come in or like, you know, yeah. drug traffickers. Um, but if there's a system in place, I think they had that with the Dream Act, right? Where yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, where it was like people coming in and, you know, if they're doing something good for society and being a good citizen, then why, why, why can't they be allowed to? Yeah, no, I, I totally relate to that. And I just think, you know, not necessarily taking a perspective on either way, but I just think it's really valuable yeah. for people to just hear a perspective from someone who, like, has a, you know, closer perspective to it, especially because I'm sure there's something, like you said, with your cousins that you've seen more firsthand. But yeah. personally, I just believe that, you know, the more good people you can have in a, you know, in a country, the better. Yeah. Right. And, and the easier we can make it to, you know, allow good people to be involved in what I consider to be a really amazing country, the better. So. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, and I mean, being in LA, it's so close, you know, to the border, yeah. so, and there's such a huge Hispanic presence that I think it, it kind of matters more than it did back when I was in Georgia, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, yeah, no, I definitely, yeah, that's not something you necessarily experience out there. Right? Yeah, no, it was, it was really life-changing when I moved here, and I like, you know, because everything else I'd really seen on the news, you know, I had friends but it was it was night and day when i first moved i moved downtown okay. um off third street which is like a really specific area but it yeah. was like pure hispanic community yeah. i mean like i would say population like 93 percent yeah and it was eye-opening man and <clears throat> what it, was so eye-opening about that because it was a different it was a different life man like yeah. i mean half the people didn't speak english yeah you know it was like people just spoke spanish all the time the signs are in spanish mm. like i you know people would look at me very weird yeah. you know i come in Georgia, what I love about Georgia is Georgia is a very, it's segregated in a way, but it's very even to the American population. So there's about 60% white people, about 16, 18% black people, couple Asians, couple Hispanics, all minorities. It's very even. Gotcha. But so I had always felt that people, you know, saw black people all the time. When I moved here, I felt like a fish out of water. Really? In a way I had never felt in my life. That is so interesting. Which, and, and it was I feel like, like LA is really diverse. It is. I guess it's not that part of LA. So, yeah, <laughs> actually, that's a really good point. It, it really depends what areas you're yeah, in. Yeah. And there's really a lot does. of people that never really leave the, their, bubble. their borough or neighborhood that they're in. Yeah. And I didn't really realize it. And I, honestly, it's like me now, like, I, I go everywhere, right? But it's like, it's it's I think it's a common thing, especially like um, in disadvantaged communities. Like they tend to stick in that area where you know they're comfortable and like people look like them, um, and you know where it's like okay, you know the the comfortability aspect. Yeah, of it, and especially right? when there's a language barrier, right? And that yeah, it's really true. hard to go out of your comfort zone when like you have trouble understanding or communicating with people outside of it, yeah. and it's such a strong community. There's very little need to go out of it. Every, yeah. I mean, it was like its own little city. Everything you could possibly need was kind of in this little borough. So yeah. that's something I found was really interesting. But now, you know, so you're here, you've got the job, you know, we're working together and you're kind of making a shift in life, right? Mm -hmm. What's fascinating to me is like, talk to me about 
not partying in a way, yeah. but kind of like the going out culture. The like, is that out. something you're trying to get more into, or is that something you're trying to like fight yourself from staying away? Honestly, from? man, I'm <laughs> I am an extroverted introvert. Okay, I don't typically go out like that. Okay, right? Like, I'm very selective with like who I associate myself with. I can right? see that, and I, I think one of the reasons for that is I'm just. For one, I don't like drama, right? Mm. I don't like unnecessary um, negative influences. So, like, I tried to steer away from anything negative in my life, right? Because um, for me, like, peace and happiness, whatever that may mean to anybody, like, that's super important for me. Of course. You know, especially, like, over the course of the last, like, 10 months, like, um, just going through things in life, like, I understood, like, what... Uh, like mental health, super important for me. Of and, course. you know, within that was peace and happiness. How, like, how can I make sure that um, there's nothing around me that is impacting me in a negative way, right? So um, <laughs> how do I got that from the going out culture? I mean, I definitely enjoy going out here and there. But for the most part, I typically stay in, you know, in my own little bubble, right? Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely venture out. And, I'm a, you know, I lo love socializing when... You know when I am out, but typically, like my preference would be, you know, to hang out with people I'm close with or you know I trust, um, and you know enjoy enjoy my time that way as opposed to you know going out and partying all the time. No, I like that. Yeah, yeah there, I just asked you because I know we've been out a couple of times. Yeah. and you've talked about that, but I do think that's really interesting perspective. And to be honest, I think most people really look for community. Mm -hmm. They look for people that I can be close to. I heard a really good quote the other day that yeah. really hit me. Um, it was uh, this guy was giving a speech okay. to um, a bunch of high schoolers, right? And he was talking about how he suggested that they should do communal living uh, mm. after college. That's really interesting. And basically, he was like, you guys should find a lot of people and like live together. And the guy stands up, one of the people in the audience, and he's like, why? It sounds just like a dorm. Yeah. I'm literally trying to go get a job yeah. so that I can be done with living with a dorm with all these people. And the guy looks at him and he says, you don't understand. From the moment you leave this place in college, you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to get what you have right now. And what he was talking about is a real sense of community. And I think I had an amazing time in college and I needed to. But I think the most beautiful part about college is... It is a unique opportunity yeah. for like-minded people to really get to be together. And all of your friends are just a couple of doors down. Mm -hmm. And it allows you to feel very much a part of something bigger than you. And I think that's really one of the major keys to life. And in places like LA, yeah. there are a million opportunities. There's all this stuff. But it can feel very isolating. It can feel like millions of literally millions of people live here are walking by you but you're kind of on your own and i feel like how is that something you've ever struggled with like how have you like made friends and like yeah, people who really matter that's to actually here? really interesting that you say that because uh i i definitely can see that right yeah. and uh for me honestly i haven't really had an issue with that because um like it's it's not difficult for me to to meet people and like i'm, I'm a very personal person like you know, I don't shy away from conversation. Um, you know, I enjoy like, you know, now like networking and um, trying to like understand what, you know, what other people do and like just being interested in that. Right. Of course. Because um, it wasn't something that I've always been involved with or interested in. Um, but I think it's super interesting um, community for sure, especially like being out in L.A. Like as big as it is, it's like you feel um, 
you know, some people can feel lost, right? Yeah. Or feel like they they're they don't belong, or like, um, you know, there's somebody that they can't relate to, and it's crazy to think of because there's millions of people here. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I think it really just comes down to like my perspective, is just like, um, really like being protective of your time and who you allow into your circle. Yeah. But also being open to allowing people into your circle, mm-hmm. right? So like, if there's someone that you know, has a similar mindset as you or similar interests, um, then, you know, opening yourself to, you know, that friendship, right? And then kind of building that network um, going from that. Uh, So I I think just keeping those connections and like identifying those people who are genuine and those people who are not, because we're in LA, there's a lot of fake people out here. Like there's people that, you know, like their main reason to move out here is to climb over other people to get to the top, right? Yeah. Um, And I hate that. You know, that's not how I operate. And unfortunately, that's, you know, a lot of people have made that uh, common theme. And, and I don't believe it has to be that way. Like you can still, everyone can still be in their own lane and achieve a certain level of success. But yeah, I completely agree with you in the terms of like uh, community, right? I think that's important to have. Um, I think everyone has their own perspective on how they go about what that looks like for them. Like for myself, like I don't need to be around like-minded people all the time sure right like as long as i have those associations i have contacts or conversations here and there like i'm fine with that i'm cool with that right because for me like my peace of mind is being by myself Mm -hmm. right like i love to be by myself like that's how i I can't feel at peace or, or like um you know peace and happiness per se like if there's constant commotion in my life like i need that space that time where i'm like okay this is my time um i'm by myself Right. There's nothing around me affecting my thoughts um, and I can just kind of tune everything out. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. No, I think and I think that peace of mind is, is so important. Um, uh, touching on what you said about the community, though. Um, have I told you about the Midnight Club yet? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. You so did. I'm flowing the idea about you. So um, I've been, been working on the idea a lot. But my real goal with the Midnight Club ultimately is to kind of create a, a community. Yeah. Right. Like a simple once a month like thing that people can look forward to yeah. and when they can go there it can be themselves so one thing i want to talk to you about is how what are things that i can do as an outside person looking mm-hmm. in to make it to where when people walk in they feel comfortable that's my biggest concern i remember uh when we last spoke about it you said one of the reasons why so greek life one of the reasons why greek life and everyone felt like they're brothers and sisters was because there was an initiation process yeah Um, trauma bonding yeah but i don't necessarily um think you can put all your chips on into that corner and be like okay this is why they're so connected um association right teams right Mm -hmm. so it really comes down to like you're a part of this club and you feel like you're in the inner circle right so you know, I mean, people feel connected to that. So they represent that. They're like, okay, I'm, this is what I belong to. Right. Um, so like some form of association, I feel like, yeah. um, whether it be in the public eye. Right. So, I mean, there's like, uh, there's social clubs out there, right? Mm-hmm. Like Soho House would be a really popular one. Sure. Like, okay. You're like, you're a part of that. And it's like, you're part of that circle. So you don't necessarily have to go through an initiation process, but because you feel like you're a part of that circle, a part of this team, um, then you know, it gives you like a sense of belonging per se. So, so we'll set the stage for you. Yeah. It's Wednesday, 1135. You know, you got the midnight club meeting mm-hmm. in 20 minutes. Yep. Is 
going out of your way to drive here and be with these people enough for you to feel no, like you're a part of something. It's not. I don't think so. It's not. No. Um, what, do we get t-shirts? Like, what do we need to I do? I mean, it's, it's one thing. So, like, I, I think you got to get past the, like, okay, um, the invitation is one thing. For them sure. to show up is another. For them to enjoy their time there is another. Right? right. So, if you can click all three, then you might have something there. But the percentage of people that are going to hit all three is not going to be as high as you probably would want it to be. Right? Of course. Um, man, that's, that's tough, though. That, that really is tough because... Yeah, because you're, you're you're asking people like from all walks of life within the city yeah. to congregate in one area at a certain point in time. Like, what's the what's the benefit of doing that? So I, I think having people understand a, the potential benefit yeah. um, and and kind of just going from there, man. Yeah, and that's and, you know, and that's why I know at the base level, I'm at least gonna have to sink some money into it. Yeah, like at bare minimum, there got to be like free drinks or something. Yeah. there has to be something that gets you there. Now, yeah. once how you have fun once you're there is a little different. Yeah. Currently, my hope is the idea of the fact that you go there and you know like you're trying to be a part of the social club will kind of do half of it. But but I agree, there's got to still be more to it. And maybe, I'm working on yeah, it. Yeah, maybe some like uh, some structured networking in place, right? Yeah. Um. So like maybe like bringing on somebody. So like you've got these categories of like understanding like okay like what is this person really interested in, and then you bring on someone who like does something in the field that. You know, maybe they're inspired about right mm -hmm. um, so that, that's another reason for them to attend like oh, okay like I'm really interested in this I know this person can answer these questions for me right, right. at the very least it's like I'm they connecting with something out of exactly it. right because for me to go out of my way at what was it midnight or something it's always midnight midnight <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so it's like you need free drinks that's cool but it's like I'd much rather get something valuable outside of that and yeah. especially if it's like a networking ploy like who is who's there that I can you know actually network with Right. Mm -hmm. Or like just pick their brain because I'm really interested in knowing more about the field or about what I may want to you know, start one day. No, no, no. You're making some good points. No. It's very interesting, man. Give me um, before I let you go. Let's do a 10 year time lapse. <clears throat> OK. Right. 10 years from now, if everything goes to plan. Yeah. Right. What what's the what's the goal for you? You're going to be doing the agency thing. Or? Yeah. Honestly, man, I. I I feel like that's something because I'm super passionate about that. Man. Yeah, I can tell. Like, like that's something that I, I dream about. Right. But I'm going to be honest, like the biggest hurdle in getting it started is the courage to get started. Mm. Right. I, I think for me, it's like um, fear of failure, fear of failure. Like I, like I have a really good understanding. Like, OK, you can you can go for it and there might be a chance it succeeds. There might be a chance it fails. But also like public perception. Like these are things people don't really, you know, speak about publicly. No, but, like, no it's real public perception, perception, like uh, like people that I know, like, what are they going to think? Right. Um, what if this fails? Like, am I going to put money into it? Am I going to lose that money? Um, you know, am, am I good enough? for it right yeah um so those are things that just cross my mind and i hate it i really do but it is we're human beings like it happens right um so i think just putting all those things aside and be like you know what? i'm gonna go for it regardless of what i'm feeling and you know for, for i'm not gonna have any regrets at the end of my life like i i know that i i did what i what i was passionate about and you know what i you know potentially dreamed of right yeah. uh had dreams of one day right and i was like okay make this happen but 10 years from now um if I'm in the similar thought process, when, when I'm in a, no, but like if I'm in a similar thought process, right. Cause I don't know, maybe a year from now I, I can, you know, start coding and learn some super sure. value and be like, okay, cool. But like, hypothetically speaking, I would say, 
um, yeah, just having an extremely successful sports marketing or management agency and, uh, you know, having these top notch clients, um, you know, in the athletes world in the track world, uh, NFL, um, honestly, like I wouldn't discriminate any kind of sport. It's like, for me, it's like the person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what can I, how, what value can I bring to this person? And I mean, definitely sticking within the sports world, but yeah, I, I would say like being the head of my own agency and having a roster of really awesome people that I enjoy working with, um, but also being in the know with all these like sports worlds, right? So I think for me that and the materialistic things will come, right? Like that's sure. not my focus at yeah. all. Um, but for me, it's like, yeah, taking care of my family, taking care of myself um, and, you know, trying to do better out in the world, right? Like that's something that's super like um, something that I'm really passionate about as well. Um, and I, I think for whatever reason in my mind, it's like I feel like I need to have money in order to help other people out, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily the case. On a macro scale, it is. But yeah. I yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of my ploy, right? But it's like eventually I'd love to, you know, have something super successful within that agency realm where I like I'm making so much money. I'm able to give back to, you know, those in need. Right. So that's super important for me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously like making sure my family is set, making sure I'm set because there's obviously dreams that I had as a kid where. You know, I want this car, I want this house. But for me, that all that's secondary. It's like yeah. I got to take care of the people that need help the most. And then once that's done, then, you know, do whatever stuff that I that I've envisioned as a kid. No, I absolutely love that. Uh, I have to touch a little bit more on what you were saying about getting started and, and the fear that's associated with that. Man. Yeah. I think us, especially as men, we are overly encouraged by seeing success mm-hmm. and we're overly discouraged by failure. Because when you see Gary Vee go out and say, you got to work a million hours, you're going to get there. That's very inspiring. But for a lot of people, there's those exact fears that you have, man. Like, am I good enough? What are my friends going to think? And I go through that with with everything in life. Like, you know, even doing this show, man. Like having to put the clips out there, how to promote it. Having to ask people to be on the show. There's a level of like imposter syndrome you get where it's like, you know, those those uh, feelings in your mind come in and they say, are you really good enough? Yeah. No one's going to take it serious. But you know what's crazy? No one's going to watch it. <laughs> Every single person goes through that. Exactly. But you never know that. Yep. You don't. Right. But we're all human beings, man. Mm-hmm. Emotions operate the same way. Um, but I think that's what separates those people that achieve a certain level of success versus those that don't. Are you willing to even try? Exactly. Right. If you're not willing to try, there's no shot that you're going to make. And more importantly, are you willing to fail? Because you will fail. Yeah. I mean, this is my fourth attempt mm-hmm. at a show. Okay. Right. And I think this is the first in my life that there were glaring errors with the others. The yeah. main one was really like I didn't have the infrastructure. Okay. I didn't have the funding. I didn't have the lights. Like yeah. I couldn't. Even on my best episode, it wasn't going to be any good. Okay. And I think I had to be honest with myself and say, wow, I'm not at that point in life, right? But now I'm at the point where the only thing stopping me from succeeding is me. I got to do it. And Mm -hmm. then I got to be critical and say, that one sucked. Be better. Inconsistency, especially in this field, man. Exactly. You're not going to see overnight success. Oh, yeah. Like it's, you just got to stay at it and not give a heck, like not care what other people think, man. I think that's at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. (laughs) Because think about it, man. Like. There's so many critics out there and so many people that have their own opinion. Yeah, these are the people not taking action. Exactly. They're looking at you and they want you to fail because they don't have what it takes mentally to to make it happen or to to get started. Right. Um, So I think that's super important. Like just shutting everything else out. 
like understanding what valuable criticism is and what just negative opinions are, right? Mm -hmm. But just like having that tunnel vision, um, hard, harder said than done, obviously, but having that tunnel vision be like, no matter what, I'm gonna I'm going to make this happen. If it fails, cool, right? I'm gonna learn from it. Um, but if this is something you're passionate about and you want to keep going and you're really driven by it, like who cares what other people think, man? Everyone lives their own life. They're they're gonna forget about it the next day. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like just go for it. No, nobody really actually cares. No, you know, they never do. Yeah, and so oh. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you make it big, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I was applauding you. The I entire believed way. you the whole time. You know, you know what I'm saying? So that, I think that's what actually, you know, that's another point. That's what really separates people who, you know, are able to attain a certain level of success versus those that don't. Like, um, are you able to withstand that criticism? Are you able to mm -hmm. withstand, um, you know, these negative opinions? And I, I think one of the things that I took, I, this might have been, I don't want to give this any particular person credit because I don't. Um, remember where where this came from, but sure. don't overemphasize um, positive compliments or negative compliments, right? Wow. So like whenever people, bro, I'm so neutral. Like someone can tell me like I am the best person in the world, like I'm super attractive, or whatever that like they can tell me I'm the smartest person in the world. Like oh my gosh, like like you are a genius, right? I can be like okay, cool, appreciate it, thank you. Yeah. And then two seconds later, I forgot about it. Yeah. Same thing. The reason why is because. I was I was taking these negative compliments and I was taking that to heart. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's like if you're taking these positive compliments to heart, you're also gonna take the negative compliments to heart because you're putting too much emphasis on what other people think about you. Right. Um, so that's that's one of my missions the last few months was being in tune with myself and focusing on my mental health, like my my thought process. You know, why do I think the way I think? Um, how do I how can I make myself um, so in, how can I be so in tune with myself where I know who I am as a person mm -hmm. and whatever anyone else tells me is not going to affect me in the way that um, it previously did, right? Um, because I think that's super important. Like, who cares what this person says or what that person, whether it's the best thing in the world, or the worst thing in the world, right? Because if you're emphasizing or focus on the best thing in the world, like I said, if you're taking that to heart, you're also going to take the negative thing to heart, right? 100%. So um, for me, just, I mean, I'm just so neutral. It's like, you, you tell me something, I'm like, all right, cool, appreciate it. <laughs> move on, you know? So it's like, yeah. No, I, I think that's amazing advice, man. I, I think overall it's been fantastic. Um, I think you got a great perspective, and I think you're going to be incredibly successful, bro. But most importantly, you're always fun to talk to, and you're a real cool dude. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh, keep going with this podcast, consistency. You, you definitely going to get there. And I think you have, obviously, what it takes. You have the mindset. I mean, this is a really nice setup. Just keep going. You're going to make it up. Appreciate it, bro. Yes, sir. Let's do it. All ready. It's a wrap. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Rose Radio Show. We really appreciate it. If you like what you saw, you can check out any of our other videos right here. And if you want to support us further, you can go on our Patreon, which is linked in the description below, and support us more and get exclusive content and access. Thank you so much.